Welcome back, everybody, to the Building Character 101 podcast. Today, I have a very special guest who is the king of games. Okay, this gentleman is the the destroyer of trading card games. He he's amazing. Okay, he is a savant at these games. You explain to him a card game and he will destroy you in it. But today we're not going to talk about every single trading card game in existence, okay? We're talking about the one and only Yu-Gi-Oh. It is time to start the podcast. And I'm not stuttering. I'm not making fun of people who stutter. That's just literally how the anime starts. Okay, so Mr. Caesar Negron, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Doing really good. How are you doing today? Just chilling, bro. I'm really excited to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh because... You know, this is arguably the greatest trading card game in ever to ever exist in trading card games. You know, I mean, it's it's just too good. You know, you can't beat it. You know, there's Magic the Gathering came first and then Pokemon did its thing. But this is not only a trading card game, but it's also an anime about trading card games. I mean, come on, dude. Like... That's un- that's untouchable. Yeah, <laughs> you can say that. I mean, uh, you have the the magic where they have their stories and books, and then you got the Pokemon. They have their story, but they don't follow a card game in their story, and they got their manga. But then it's Yu-Gi-Oh it has their manga, has their anime, but it's about the card game that you play. Exactly, dude. So we know that this game has evolved like a lot from when it first came out to now um you got like the rules that are over in the east the ocg and over here you got the tcg right you know something like that yeah so you have the organized play which is usually used in the asian market uh but also in the asian market they do have the trading card game it just depends on where in asia um but for the most part it's east versus west on that so west is usually tcg and ocg would be east okay all right thank you for clarifying that what do you like about the game, dude? What what is it about Yu-Gi-Oh? Like, I I know you probably don't play it as much because you're too damn good at it. But um, <laughs> like, what do you? Uh... Well, for me, um, honestly, uh, card games itself. Uh, I I remember playing Yu-Gi-Oh as one of my first card games. Playing it, I think it's back in oh uh, two oh three. I'm trying to remember really exactly the year, but I remember. When I was in middle school and the kids all had uh, decks and stuff and I paid attention. I kind of saw how it went. Saw the anime a little. But you had to wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning for the WB kids to watch that. Of course, man. <laughs> Back in the day with no DVR. <laughs> <laughs> now you can watch the whole thing on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Now Netflix, YouTube, everything. I mean, this is this is the era before all that. Yeah, I'm correct. still trying to figure out how we live nowadays without it. But, I mean, I don't know how we did it, but we did it. I remember there was VHS. That was the best way of your Netflix. You got to go down to your dollar store and go buy the VHS for three episodes. Oh but, uh, gosh, yes, I remember. Now that. that's what they call a classic. Back then, that was modern uh, videos. <laughs> that was modern technology, man. And and the crazy thing I thought about the anime, they have like the holograms and the projectors and the monsters come out, and I'm like, yo, when is somebody gonna do this for Yu-Gi-Oh? Like, come on. I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there is a company in Japan that was working on the hologram, uh, but there's so many cards now. We're talking about. I think it's over 20,000 20, different cards 
They would have to hologram. If I'm not mistaken, just monsters. I mean, I'm not even talking about the spells and traps, you know, to be more specific. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's over 20,000 different cards in a 20-year lifespan. I, the the game itself was uh, started back in 99 in the OCG. And I believe it came in the and then America's in 01 or 2000 uh, with the started like Yugi and Kaiba. But um, overall, now we're we're in 2022. We're we're talking about a solid two decades of a card game going strong. The thing is that the game itself never slowed down. No, no, and it, they're still selling right now. Um, you know, some people are gonna say that you know Yu-Gi-Oh is too fast paced now, or you know, um, you got Pokemon card game, which has always been there. You have, of course, Magic the Gathering dragon ball super card game and you know i know you've played them all um at different levels and you know Yu-Gi-Oh still i think stands apart it like maybe magic the gathering is kind of the closest a little bit in rules but um even then Yu-Gi-Oh still stands apart Yu-Gi-Oh has an interesting way of playing the game uh, it, it has evolved i think uh at more of a rapid pace than the other games have. Um, the other games, they have their deck, and you play off your deck. And uh, I believe Magic try to integrate what we call in the Yu-Gi-Oh game Astro deck also, but I'm not too sure uh, on the current status on Magic how they implemented that or if they mm-hmm. stop implementing it. From what I remember, in um, Pokemon never really had a extra deck on the side um and as far as dragon ball z there um for the dragon ball super not the dragon ball z it's two different card games but a dragon ball super they're looking at implementing new different areas in the game which that game is one of the honestly i I feel like is if you can put a bunch of different card games together and create one dragon ball super kind of gets a little bit of everybody and I, I like what they did but when it comes to Yu-Gi-Oh, they have a mechanic like no other no other every time there's a master rule change there's a mechanic added onto the game that changes how the game is played and i think that's something that kept um certain players refresh rates or how would i like to call it a, a reboot because certain players were good in certain eras, and then you don't see them. The big-time players, I mean, you know, like the celebrity of the game. You don't see them in new eras because it's a new badge. I don't know if it's just they stopped playing or what. But a lot of people say, you know, if with the game of Yu-Gi-Oh! became a game where you have to have a PhD to understand it. And it's just... <laughs> And as you really don't, it, it really comes down to learning basics and going step by step. Now, if you want to become comp- competitive ASAP, you know, that's understandable. It does seem to you need a PhD in understanding the game. But um, it's a phrase I don't like to use because new players can learn and beat those veteran players just as well as anybody else can beat each other in this game. Do you think money is a factor? Like if you don't have this three, four hundred dollar deck that you can't be competitive? Yes and no. Yes, in the mindset that is in, um, it becomes an easier autopilot. And by autopilot, I mean something that runs on its own. You don't have to really think so much. This gets that, that gets that, and that creates this. So if you have a shorter route to your final board, it usually becomes a better deck. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that. If I can make a board on the uh, a, a monster board to be able to stop my opponent from making plays. With one card, and I can create what we call plusing four or five out of it. 
that's a good card, usually how it's looked at in Yu-Gi-Oh! And what I mean by plus is uh, a card economy. Usually when that happens, that specific card in the start market of Yu-Gi-Oh! becomes expensive because it's needed by everybody to make that possible combo. The best way to explain it would be if I gave uh, you, Anthony, a dollar... And that dollar, you gave me five. Wouldn't that be plus four? That's plus four dollars. That's how we look at the economy of the board. And uh, when it comes to card games, in the con- card economy is huge. Uh, any training card game, having more than my opponent is usually an advantage that I want to have. And in Yu-Gi-Oh, having an advantage like that is seriously one of the strongest points of the game to control the aspect. Because unlike the other trading card games, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh is very limited how you can get additional cards to your hand because you can do so many plays with just one card. Other card games require other pieces to make the same plays. Or just to use a, a quick example, in Yu-Gi-Oh drawing cards, is like a premium and like when you draw two cards in this game you're giving up something huge to draw two cards but that can completely change the game a game's like pokemon you could draw seven from one card and you 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 don't get anywhere sometimes you know so it is it's the difference of how the game is structured and that's something i do think that always attracted me to the game that i can i can win with one card if I play it right. And it's always coming down to if you play it right. What's one of your favorite cards of all time? One of my favorite cards of all time. Ah, most people will probably laugh, but it was actually Overload Fusion. It was one of my favorite cards of all time. It's not even a monster, it's just a spell. And what its effect was, um, I can choose a fusion monster from my uh Astro deck. Um, the one I used to use was uh Cyber uh, Overload Dragon, I get Cyber Tech Overload Dragon, if I can even say the name right anymore. Anyway, I'm sorry, Chimera Tech Overload Dragon. And the way it was uh, fused was having a Cyber Dragon plus any amount of machines. So I would literally make this fusion from this card, get rid of everything I had, slap him on the board. He'll have a, a, a 10,000 attacks sometimes. He'll have 8,000 attack. And then I can attack X number of times the number of materials was used of monsters there is on my opponent's board. Usually, uh, the board state, I would create an opening. For example, back in the day, I would use like a dark hole to clear their monsters. So I was going for a direct attack to win the game with yeah. this combo. Um, a card that it would pair very nicely with what's called future fusion before the the change of how that card was made it, it used to say pick a fusion monster uh, just to paraphrase it obviously pick a fusion monster dump everything for that fusion monster into the, the graveyard well and then you have two turns for it to come out with overload fusion usually like dumped everything played overload fusion and you just made the guy right then and there and then you would just make them at ridiculous attacks. Uh, but that was, I would say, one of my favorite cards in the game. And how much do you think that was going for at the time? Over the fusion itself was never really expensive unless you wanted the ultimate version. I mean, at the time, it was just a, I believe it was just a rare. So it was not an expensive card at all. The pieces that went with it were expensive in, in terms of the market at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Nowadays, uh, those prices would be so low compared to what nowadays these prices you see. Uh, a lot of the, the times, the prices uh, I would say are inflated due to the fact that there there was there hasn't been really in-person events until just recently. So the market itself, it, it was at a premium that it was a seller's market, not a buyer's market. If anybody understands that from um, mortgage, you know, mortgages and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um. The market itself was wild. So yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh is like it's almost like a little stock market, like a mini stock market, but with the cards. And what are what are some things that influence that? Like from one card one day being five dollars, and then a new set releases, and now this card is like you know ten or fifteen dollars a pop. You know what what happens there? Well, a lot of it to blame is really the printing of the card. Konami knows what they're doing, honestly. I people don't want to admit it sometimes, but a lot of it comes down to Konami itself. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll make the card people want in the OCG a common or a rare because they're not they just make them whatever rarity they want over there. They over oh, a lot more collector market over there, so they'll put like the the ones that are iconic of some sort for the anime as the the premium rarity, and then they see that the cards that they get played are commons or rares or super rares and sometimes ultra rares depending on what it is and when they come to the tcg they get the premium rarity which would be the secret rare uh, or the ultra rare depending on what they decide and so we call that up in the rarity and what happens is just to use an example uh, let's say cyber dragon cyber dragon when it first came out back in uh, 2004 was just a a super rare or 2005 a, a super rare back then was actually h- hard to pull because they would have so many super rares and not have them included guaranteed in the set then you had ultra rares and then you had secret rares back in the olden days uh for the first few sets there was only two secret rares in the box and almost every time when you open up a box you were guaranteed one or the other and what i mean by almost that that's just the ratios they would say i think it said a secret rare to 24 packs and the pack it was 24 packs to the box uh, so secret rares were nice, but they weren't um, usually the competitive card for a while. I think the first secret rare that I would say was the competitive card would have been um, Jinzo. If oh. I'm not mistaken, the top of my head, then they implemented Ring of Destruction later on, and then Yada Garasu, Yada Injection Fairy Lady, those cards. And I'm talking about in the beginning of Yu-Gi-Oh! Obviously, these cards are usually now considered to be bland or power creep at this point jinzo still would be depending on the format like it could be a good card it depends on the format if there's a lot of counter cards there really is no point because it doesn't stop count i mean if it's stopped from being summoned and then your opponent can stop that and jinzo really doesn't show any value um not like hand traps so you can just play at a time but we can talk about that later a little bit more um as far as the other ones like injection fairy lily at the time a, a monster was normal summonable to have 3400 attack and a battle pretty nice so <laughs> yeah she started at 400 got a bump of 3000 by paying 2000 i feel that that's a great trade-off you know and and the game of Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, light points is just a a form of economy of uh and I, I like to use the word economy a lot so people yeah. can understand how important some of these uh 
values and when we look in trading card games and how the the player itself uh, we always want to have an economy that you're at a plus never at a negative because when you're doing a negative economy then you're giving your opponent advantage when you're doing a positive economy you're gaining advantage uh when, when you even out is you know whatever is a trade-off so that's the best way to look at it anytime i speak in those terms but looking at the ejection fairy lady the trade-off was a 2,000 light points for 3,000. That's a plus 1,000 in my eyes as far as damage is concerned, especially if I'm hitting my opponent directly with no monster. I literally paid two to did 34. That's a, that's a plus 14 on my side and then life value. So that economy right there was a plus. Now, if I pay 2,000 to kill a monster in defense, then obviously... Uh, I'm losing an economy unless there's a reason for me to lower my light points or is a reason for getting rid of what's there. Uh, so the board state matters a lot. So those cards obviously have been power crept over time. Power cre- uh, in case you're not familiar with power creep, power creep is just, you know, the newer tends to push out the older. It's the easiest way of saying power creep. And that's like every game, right? Like almost every game, like whether it's, figurines um you know like hero clicks and a mini warhammer i don't know i've never played warhammer the all the card games man they have power creep and i assume that's just to get people to buy the new stuff right there is two reasons for power creep one economy of this uh the card game itself as far as the economy of the makers, uh, they want to make sure they sell the product. And, you know, the, in the Yu-Gi-Oh, there's two ways for that to happen. One is the ban list, and two is the power creeping of the cards. Uh, as of right now, the last, uh, one want to say the last 10 years of Yu-Gi-Oh, there has been a lot of power creeping happen within these master rules. I'm talking about from the Synchro era, from, well, it went from the Fusion to Synchro era, and... I really wouldn't call the ritual era an era because it really never truly happened until the late fusion era, as when yeah. f- you know a few uh, rituals were used. But um, the the synchro era is a big example of what power creep is. I mean, we used to have to play a card called polymerization to put two monsters together to create one. We're talking about three card economy to create one, so that had to be something huge in uh, terms of playability for in order for any player to go that route and usually for fusions we never truly used the fusion mechanic what it was meant to be it later on got developed by different cards to then support the fusion mechanic but that didn't happen until later on in the game uh cards like super polymerization are an example where they started using your opponent's cards so now the economy wasn't so much heavy on your side. Now you're making your opponent lose some stuff, and you created advantage in forms in those forms. Now the economy when it came to synchros was really nice when you gave two for one basically. So you gave up two monsters to create one without a third card involvement. Uh, just to use a quick example, we're looking at a, a card that many of us knew in that era was Cree Bond, so that was a level two psychic monster that can uh, be summoned with another card for free basically and then you just played a, a level four monster you could put whatever you could use whatever for an example 
Uh, I'm just going to say, um, I don't know, Voice Raider, just to use an example. It's a level four normal monster. You never really played that card in the deck together with those curve bombs, but just for this example, obviously. And then you put those two cards together, you had a total of six stars. You made one of the most dangerous synchro monsters in the game called the Gojo Guardian. And unfortunately for Gojo Guardian, uh, he uh, had to receive what we call the errata treatment also. They, he was too good for what, how he was made. Because he, he was a 28 B-stick that took your opponent's monsters after it killed it. For two monsters creating a 28 under attack monster, that's a huge thing in the game of Yu-Gi-Oh! During that era, obviously. Nowadays, one card creates a board of five cards, but obviously through specific uh, comboing and stuff. The combos back then were mainly two, three-card combos, four-card combos. Now we're talking about a one-card combo uh, in, in current era. So you see how the power creep uh, can change just in one card versus needing three or four cards to make the same results or better results. So just the, the power creep itself uh, changed completely would uh, cause resets in the game. And so also the um, another thing was that would cause resets in the game was the ban list. And so those two items cause it where the, the game itself keeps producing for uh, a huge amount of money to cause these uh, changes in cards and uh, push forward newer stuff and push away older stuff. And that makes sense. It keeps the game fresh, I'm assuming. A lot of different like elements of combining monsters and stuff. My favorite, I will say, would have to be the Exceed era. And, and the reason for that is uh, that's when I succeeded the most. Uh, I never really got the chance to travel and, and major events as much. But in the local card game um, scene, I would show up to stores and uh, pretty much guaranteed either top either finals or winning it or top four. It was rare that I would ever be less than top four um it's not even again it was not something to pride myself over but it's just i love competition and uh and i've developed a, such a a keen way of winning uh i i never cared to resort to cheating uh I, you hear a lot of these top players they they get caught cheating and stuff and then mm-hmm. you know it's it becomes a controversy of how he cheated and whatnot and and it's sad that, you know, your reputation would be stuck on did you cheat during this event to win it or how you're winning back-to-back events. Again, uh, I believe those, a lot of those players are very skillful and they may have put a lot of hours in. But once the cheating tag is put on you, it's difficult to not see that person the same way, you know. And, uh, it's true. Uh, you do it once and everybody's like, oh, yeah, I remember he cheated in that one tournament. And and with me, uh, my personal advantage was I I never I never let defeat defeat me. Um, the best way to say it is even if I'm about to lose, I let you know I let the chances come down to the last attack. Uh, if I if I draw the the, the solution, which uh, I'm known for, they they could call me Little Yugi sometimes just because uh, the heart of the cards were on my side. I guess the heart of the cards, <laughs> yes. And I would I would get of get out of situations without even thinking about it, even though I knew the out, you know, like hey, only thing that's gonna save me is Dark Hole or or, or Regeki to use those two as an example. And I have ten cards left in my deck. I have one. I got ten percent chance. I never really sat down and thought like that. 
um, to not cause any uh, nervousness. I just, you know what? I can't control what's on top of my deck. I got to play the moment. I just know if I can win, it's going to either happen now or I can't. And, and so what I did a lot, um, a lot of people that know me in the game of Yu-Gi-Oh, I tend to gravitate to decks that can one-turn kill. Uh, what would it be called? OTK. Not first-turn kill. Not first turn kill. Those are dis those are dis degenerate decks. <laughs> uh, but uh, we don't we don't look at those. We don't talk about Bruno's, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, when it comes to the the power of OT Kane, uh, which is again one turn kill, that's something I pride myself in. I, I would I would say I always look for a way to do it. It's something that uh, I remember in the era when machines were. The, dominant and people they didn't use limited removal that much and i was like i'm gonna use limited removal i'm trying to win now i ain't trying to win later and yeah would it be a dead card sometimes yeah every card can be dead at any given point in the game you know that do i increase my chances of uh a higher risk of uh happening yes but with great risk there's great reward so i would i would create it where it's uh a basically a three card combo so if i had gear freed uh, not gear free but gear frame um a a machina gear frame with search another uh a machina monster i would get machina fortress and if i had another machine in hand i would discard fortress and bring them out what if another machine discarded attack and attack um obviously attacking with limited removal active that's enough damage to win the game you know you had 80 what was it like 82 damage or something like 84 thousand 8400 damage right there that's enough to win the game i believe it was like 25 and 13 i lied to you guys 86 so it would be 43 times two is the damage i'm gonna do to my opponent so that's game that's game you know what so i would look for things like that to be able to win obviously the game is much more complicated than just setting up that. You have to set it up. So I got to make sure my opponent has no monsters and no back road for me to guarantee the game in those two cards. So, And that's where the, the game started evolving a lot more for myself. Uh, I, I remember the era of uh, in the beginning where it was just a dark, you know, big monsters. You know, they had Dark Magician at 25, the Blue Eyes at 3,000. And, and your whole goal was to play beatdown. So you would play equip cards and level four monsters and just attack and attack. Axe of Despair was a great card. Yeah. Um, Legend, the, the Magical Genie was 1800. Mechanical Chaser, 1850. You know, those were great cards back in the day. Obviously, with Power Creep, all that gets pushed away. And now we have an era with monster searches for other monsters to create a winning combo. And those are little combos. Nowadays, I, I was watching a, a game the other day, and, and the funny thing is, like, they, they looked at me like, you play? I'm like, I, I dabble. <laughs> <laughs> Talking I to never, the games here. <laughs> uh, you know, I dabble. I, I'm not one to, like, I always like to just be humble while I play the games. Uh, I, I do get moments where I get the ego up, but that's just the, that's just the, comp, the competitive nature of things. Because they think you're going down and you're not, and you just prove them wrong, just because your attitude is much more calm than the others. And uh, the gentleman uh, continued to do a combo that brought out with one card. It was able to search another card, play that card to bring out another card and draw cards. And I'm like, wow! If I would have been able to draw cards on a day like this, I would win. 
he he presented a board that was uh i believe finished with a fusion monster that can negate uh, effects a synchro monster that can negate effects and um discarded two cards from his opponent or stop cards from being played from the opponent that same turn in my the opponent had like three cards left to the three cards that he was going to stop playing you know so it's like you're not winning the bo- the game is uh, i mean it's one of those things that had the game has evolved now it's about yeah you know your light points are a resource that are the most important resource because once it's at zero you lose but at the same time your life points can be a resource to inflict damage to your opponent so you would pay your life points up to see how much more advantage you can make so just to use an example of a deck that i'm very familiar with and uh, many of the uh people out there can uh, agree with Mormos, which is uh, a lot of people call them water a lot of times is because it's really just mainly an attribute of water deck very mm-hmm. rarely do you run anything else in it is a deck that um if you see dragoons in hand and uh Amistius, you're loving your hand you don't even care what the other three cards are just those two cards you're gonna create such an advantage on the board with those two cards that it, it, you could create three negates you can uh one of them with being uh, and you could discard two cards from your opponent's hand also uh, with Glacier, I'm not going to go with a specific card for card because during every band list, there's different card routes that you do to do the same combo. And you create a state where your opponent can't play the game. But you also create a state where you can win the game right there because you have enough damage also on board to do that 8,000 mark. So that's one thing I love to buy with the water deck a lot. And then it's funny how in today's day, yeah, it's not the best deck of the format. But it's definitely a, a a road deck that is respected. Like when mm-hmm. you see it, you know there's a chance that you're probably losing the first turn. Of course, we have side decks for that, you know. But that's neither here or there. But it just comes down to the same uh, concept. Um, you have a way to play the game, stop your opponent, use the resources you have to win that game, and move on to the next game. You know. So you were. Um, at the local game shop and probably any game shop you ever set foot in, you are the best. Um, you just, you know, you showed up and then you threw your deck on the table and it was better than everyone else's deck. And, um, but they didn't need to know that, right? You showed them when you defeated them and made them cry and never want to play the game again. (laughs) That's not (laughs) how it went. But if you want to believe that, that's all fine with me. But that's that's not how it went. (laughs) That's my headcanon that I've created. That's the lore that I've created for you. So in that lore, and you you being the king of games, um, you are like Yugi in the way that you play this game. The way you, um, you formulate everything together. Like, what's your secret, dude? Like, what's your secret um, that makes you just such a good player in all of these different games? Like, you just, you, like, I've watched you play, and you always have, like, this calm demeanor. No, like, you have the best poker face. If you're, like, if you're worried about what's going on, nobody can tell. You know, like, you're just, like, like stone. Dude, what's your secret? Wow. So, so the question is, basically, what is my secret? How I keep a poker face? Yeah, bro. How do you like <laughs> calm under pressure? Those times where you're like your back is against the ropes, you know, opponents pulled off some shit, and you're like, and you're looking at them, you're like, whatever, I don't care, I'm about to win this shit, it don't matter, and and then you do, right? How is that? 
I mean, mentally, I probably say it, but I never verbally say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so my secret really, it's not even a secret. It's more just practice. It, it, it sounds kind of niche to say it like that, but when you practice enough, you know what to expect. Remember, you're not the only person that can win the game. If you realize that at any given point, your opponent can also win, but you're just preventing them from winning, it sounds kind of weird, but that's really what goes in my mind. I don't really try to even think about it too much. I, I had a partner uh, that I played with a lot, uh, my brother-in-law, when he, he lived uh, in Florida. Him and I played a lot of games, and I, I would purposely get the newest decks and stuff to play against it. Sometimes I would play with the newest deck. Sometimes I play with the deck I play normally. And it was just a matter of exposure. I wouldn't get nervous for facing uh, any name player. Like, uh, back in my day, the, uh, when I say my day, I'm talking about many years ago when I played a heavy amount of Yu-Gi-Oh. There was players like um, uh, Patrick Holbin. Most people, when they face, sit down in front of him, might be scared just because they saw that guy's name. He was a beast at the game. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not no disrespect to the guy, but I, I sit across from him and be like, "Hey, let's play a good game. That's it. <laughs> you know, that's that's my attitude with it. Hey, let's have some fun. That's it." And they're like, "Have fun? Like, I'm here to win the tournament. I'm not here to have fun." Okay. <laughs> but my mindset, I'm about to have fun because when I beat you, you're gonna be like salty. So you ain't winning this tournament. <laughs> there it is. So, so that's my mindset. But I was just chilling. Like, hey, let's have some fun. Um, I, I personally never got a chance to play against Patrick Holman. Uh, at the time he was the, I consider him the number one player at that uh, that era. Um, but I did play against other players that were known across the state. Uh, I think one of them was Jake Jake Matterns, I believe, or Matthews. If I, don't, I can't remember his name, hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And I actually, with him, I, I had faced him in a in a regionals once, and uh, in that regionals, um, he had beat me in the first game. Uh, so you know, you play three games. He beat me the first game, and I completely just went into I'm going to beat this guy. He thought he got ahead of me just because of one game. All right. I proceeded to win the second game, um, with a little grind game. And then the third game, I did the nastiest uh, kind of like procedure that I could do at that time. I, I wouldn't say nasty, but it was he was not expecting it. He may have had an answer face down. He did have a trap face down. So I proceeded to make him two gear ganking X. And he had stopped one of my summons, so he already—he was only at six thousand light points. So I, I declared an attack with Gear Ganta X uh, that I had on board, and he still had a face down. Does not activate face down. He did play at the time Dimensional Fidgers, I believe, um, in his deck or Dimensional Prison. I'm sorry, Dimensional Prison, the one that had removed the monster from when they attacked, mm -hmm. or Mirror Force or something similar. I knew he played something that stopped the attack, so I attack. And he doesn't activate anything. He takes the damage. I attack with the second one. And he's like, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll go and take the damage. Well, then that's when I played my, my one of my favorite cards. Limited removal. Well, like, if you're taking damage, guess what? Damage step or damage calculation or whatever the, the step call anymore because they changed the name of those steps. Um, I'm playing limited removal, so you're taking double the damage, which was enough to win the game. Oh, nice. <laughs> so he, 
he literally had a moment like, wow. You know, he just sat there for a second and gave me that wow face. Like, you just did that to me. He mo- To me, to this day, I still believe he had an answer to stop the second attack. And chose not to because he thought he had enough that he could just let take the damage. He was not expecting the limit or removal. So... <laughs> So that was one of the my one of my favorite plays I ever did um, in Yu-Gi-Oh! Just because I literally used the rules there is in plays for the battle step, the damage step, and, the, and how damage is calculated in the in the battle, how that procedure goes to my advantage. Just because I had a card that manipulated the attack values of a card that can be used in in multiple steps of that. During the battle step, he could go ahead and activate a trap to stop the attack, but he could not do that when the attacks over uh, the battle step is gone and it goes to the next segment of the battle step. So it it was one of those nice experiences. And then again, I knew that I was playing I was playing against one of the top players in Florida at the time, and I knew what I was going up against, but I did not let it affect me. I, I just let's have some fun. That was it. That, and that was the words I, I let them know in the beginning. Hey, thank you. Good to meet you. Let's have some fun. Some people don't consider losing to live and removal fun. Nah, he's not the only one that hated that. <laughs> A lot of people hated that because you would think you had enough to get away with something. And people that know me. I will find a way to OTK you. That that's my that's law in my book. That's probably why I fell in love with machine decks and water decks. Uh, I mean, I could play. You give me any deck, and you I know what the deck does. I could play it, but I, I usually gravitate to those kind of decks that I can just either beat you in one game in one turn, or I could control the state of the game in such a way that you're not winning the game, uh, which tend to be the tier one decks in the game and so that's something that i've always gravitate towards uh, but um it, so, it's easier to keep a poker face when you know your deck can come through at any time to win the game so building the right deck and um getting uh, getting your reps in you know you played um a lot of um a lot of games um all the time uh, what you said it was your cousin, my brother-in-law. Okay, your brother-in-law. So you played a lot of games with your brother-in-law. You got the reps in. You played against the top decks, you know, because you guys, I assume, both were trying to make them all the time. And you know, you're like, okay, you show up to the tournament. You're like, okay, I've I've seen what's possible out there. I already know like what you can do at max. So bring it. You're ready. Exactly, and then that's the thing with the card games. That's what that's the thing. That's the thing you can use in life. Um, you practice, and every time you practice something, you will get better at it. And when you get better at it, you can make it a routine. Once you make it a routine, it becomes second nature to you. So when it came to the card games in general, I would play a lot. To the point where it it became second nature to me that I can build a deck the night before or literally hours before an event and come out winning with having a half-completed deck. And I never liked doing that, but it was a strong suit of mine. Um, For example, just to highlight a a moment I I had in uh, in a different card game, in Pokemon, I made a deck literally 20 minutes before sign-up was over. 
And it was because somebody wanted to use some cards that I had for my deck. And I'm like, all right, fine, you can use them. I'm just going to have to make something else. And at the moment, I was like, well, what can I do? I look, I look, I look. I'm like, you know what? Let me put these cards together. Let me put this together. These uh, few energies at trainers. All right, go. I ended up to uh, topping that event. I did not win, but I ended up getting to the playoffs with that event. Needless to say, if I would have had time to take out the kinks and stuff, maybe I could have won that event. But that's neither here nor there. It just shows that when you practice the game that you like the most at a high level amount of repetition and seek the competition. I always seek for people that was better than me to play against. I never cared to play against people that were weaker than me. Can I play them? Yes. I tried to teach them to make them better so I can become better. Iron sharpens iron, you know? That's just how it works, right? Mm -hmm. That's how it is. It's still... Is it iron sharpens iron? I, I forget the phrase, but yeah. I, bl I believe that is it, yeah. So while you're practicing, if the other person doesn't show any energy to try to become better, it kind of killed it for me a lot for certain people that I would play against. So I would tend to not waste my time so much in there because time is a, a very big resource that you don't have a lot of, you know, and true. If you want to become better at anything. You want to be able to advance in those items you have to be able to find how to advance uh so in these card games for example i always look to ways to how do i better myself if i ever focused on just one card game and took the advantage of trying to become sponsored by a team and whatnot yeah i would have been known across the, the united states yeah i, I would have not doubted that why because i had that determination i just didn't have the the time the resource that's most valuable to do it you know and unfortunately i lived in a market that was very distant from the main markets of the game so it, it became harder to make that happen um a dream of mine was always to become the world champion uh, i never have achieved that yet uh, and by me yet is i i haven't given up on card games obviously of course uh that's something that's just second nature to me now. Um, so, but I always think that uh, if I take the time and effort, I can become a world champion of any of these card games. And that's something that um, I believe every player should strive for. Never just strive to win the local tournament. That's great. Don't get me wrong. It's just step one. Then you strive to wake, uh, win a, a county tournament if they have them in your area. You know, if they do a big events like case tournaments, money events. I call those a little big, bigger events than that usually sanctioned by uh any of the big card games uh, but i encourage people to go into those games um those events because when you complete those events and win or you do a great placement guess what now you're able to go to like a regional event a, a shonen jump or what they call it um the they're not calling shonen jumps anymore they call the ycs's and Yu-Gi-Oh, but um i still call them shonen jumps and that's what happens when you play the game so long you right. call them but what they really are <laughs> <laughs> the same structure it hasn't changed so it just changed the name that's all that changed and you can argue that all you want i'm gonna point out how it's the same but you go to these bigger events and uh, i remember in Yu-Gi-Oh, uh my first time playing at a regional Everybody else that went with me to that event did terrible. Everybody. They did not prepare themselves for what was going to be there. 
I explained to them, hey guys, listen, I've never played at this event, and neither have you. But you haven't researched this event like I have. So I gave them the knowledge, hey, this is what we should do. They laughed at me because they all beat me on the regular and local events because I never cared about doing the, what we call tier one decks. Okay. Uh, so I so at this event, I went with a tier one deck. I did not go with the little chump decks that I tried for fun because I always like to try different things for fun. There's, you know, I, I, I love the game. I'm going to play with everything I can play with. Mm-hmm. So I went to this event with a, a Chaos Control deck. Uh, those who've played the game many years know exactly what I'm talking about. I ended up making to the top 32 out of 400, I want to say. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 27th place. It was 27th place. And at that time, 27th place got rewards. So I got packs for making it to that level. I did not get to be in the top 16 to end up going for the top 8 for the mats and stuff like that. But I did get, on my first regionals, 27th place. The closest guy in my list was another guy who was um i remember his name george um, i don't know where he's at at this time unfortunately uh lost contact with him when i was young but uh the guy was nuts in the game too he was kind of crazy too but that's neither here or there and uh he he was another one that didn't take serious in the group but he was the uh, next person that was the closest to me we actually had to face each other at the event because we were both um only had lost one game at that round and then we ended up being paired against each other. And man, did we have a game. We went back and forth, back and forth. And then he played a card that I was not aware of, even though I should have been aware of, called Last Will. And he he did a nasty play. And then I, I went back and I was just like, all right, cool. How am I going to win? And obviously, I just kept playing the game. And uh, Book of Moon and Dark Hole seems to be good cards back then. And that's Oof. how I ended up winning. Just having stopping the attacks and killing everything and go for my attacks. Again, it was one of those times where it was like, wow, what a game. You know, it was a great game. It was back and forth. I ended up winning. He he lost. But at the end of the day, um, I lost my round after, which stopped me from making it to top 16 for that event. But... um. Everybody else in the group all were like pretty much given up. They they've lost every almost every game and they were not ready for these events because they didn't put the practice in like I did. Oh. And the following week, uh, well the week before that, um, I played at an event that did in the whole county. I ended up winning that event. Um, that was actually the first event I won by that card store at the time. And um, they were expecting me with something, and I brought completely the heat, the tier one deck like I was spe- uh, I expect, um, that they did not expect me to play. And I tried to teach them, hey, this is how the game is really played. What we've been playing, we've been playing the the chump league, basically, is the the best way to explain it to them. Oh, no, I don't want to change. I'm like, all right. Next thing you know, a couple weeks later, they all wanted to do the same deck I had. So there you go. (laughs) So it's it's one of those things that, you know, with different eras in Yu-Gi-Oh!, it does happen. And that, that was an era that the internet wasn't as prominent. Most of the stuff we got, information about the game, you had to get it from Game Informer games, comics. Uh, there was a, a comic called um, Sp- Spite, something like that. Um, I don't remember the name 100%, but it, it pretty much gave you the prices of what cards' values were. There was no value 
like there in the internet because the internet really wasn't prominent yet the way it is nowadays uh so it was definitely a different game of Yu-Gi-Oh! um how it is now now you you can find out what the japanese players are playing before it ever releases here so you you already worked out the kings before the cards even came out it's one of those things that um with knowledge, great knowledge, you can have great power. Um, it's, it's definitely how how it is. Knowledge does create power. It all depends on how you use that knowledge. Is how strong your power is. So, all right. Question about when you're facing an opponent: Are you do you play the opponent, or are you playing against their deck? And you know, I know you would know the difference. Other people would be like, "What are you talking about? That's the same shit." No, you know what I mean, though. I know what you mean. I play the opponent. I don't play the deck. Now, there is moments you have to play against the deck because if you do not know what's going on, you need to pay attention. But if you know a good knowledge of the game, you're no longer playing against cards. You're playing against the opponent. How do I beat his mind game? How do I play with his mind? Do I make him think I have a complete board like this? Do I go for full combo? Should I do full combo? Because full combo sometimes can be destroyed. So what do I go? Do I go half full combo and show them the rest of the hand trump card later? There's a lot of different things you can present and you can do when it comes to the game. Especially Yu-Gi-Oh. That's, like I said, in Yu-Gi-Oh, one card can become five. It's just how do you make that happen? And Yu-Gi-Oh is like one of those games, man. It's like stuff happens outside of people's turns. There's a lot of different elements that activate with different other cards. And, you know, you like the stuff that you described, you can't read that in the rule book. Like you have to develop your style of play and then continue to evolve. Right. Yeah. So one thing you have to figure out is what kind of player are you? Do you like to control the game? Do you like to just beat the opponent fast? Or do you want to play a game where your opponent doesn't interact at all? Uh, that's, that's you FTK players out there who are a disgrace <laughs> to the game. Um, anyways, <laughs> so it, it comes down to what kind of player are you? Like, And then you got to develop that and you got to find that out yourself. And obviously, again, you develop it by practice. I'm, again, I, I've played many eras, played different versions of the game, played different ways to play the game. I am no means the best at the game because if you are at the best, all you could do is go downhill from there. So I look at myself as being uh, in a situation where to learn more, which requires repetition, watching other people play. You, that's another advantage people don't take about, uh, think about. Watching games, see how people would do this. Like you look at the hand and be like, I will go this route. Then press play to see what route they go. You know what's going on in both sides, and then you may make a route, a decision because of that. Maybe you don't know what the other person has because you're watching an event that does not show the other person's hand until it gets played. So it, it all depends on not. I go back to it, it's just knowledge. It really comes down to knowledge. Knowledge is a great tool, gives advantage, and um, practicing knowledge is really what it comes down to. Is the anime at all helpful in this game? Like, if you watch the anime, you'd be like, all right, I know how to play this game now, or I have an advantage, or is it just entertainment? You know, you're just watching the show. I w- <laughs> <laughs> you never play the, the anime game and be was like, truly... I summon my dark magician, dark magic attack. You know, you never say that in a game. 
<laughs> um, have I? Yes, of course I have. I mean, I was not practical. That's more of a funny moment. Sure. But uh, the anime, the qu- to answer the question, anime really can help get an interest of the card game, but I wouldn't say has a good example of how the card game is played. The anime is trying to waste 30 minutes of your time in, in an episode, you know. Yeah. The card game itself is such a fast pace that 15, 20 minutes is just your turn, if that makes any sense. I mean, you're creating a board state, and uh, for those who don't know what I mean by creating a board state, it's placing a lot of cards on the board and keeping cards in your hand. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it without going into exact details. So, right. and the reason why you want cards in your hand is because the card, these monsters and traps are called hand traps. A good example of them are um, like Effect Valor and Infinite Impermanence or whatever it's called. Uh, those kind of cards that get really played during your opponent's turn is just so powerful. But um, really, the you know that's the anime does not help. <laughs> <laughs> it just gives yeah, you a So, kids, if you're listening um, and you love the Yu-Gi-Oh anime, it is not going to help you get better at the game. So, you know, you could buy the structure deck. And actually, let me just ask you, what is a good intro for someone to get into the game? You know, and maybe one day they want to get competitive. What advice do you have for them? Look for somebody that wants to play. Look for a game store. Seek for those who actually are willing to play, not to destroy you in games. Just play the game. That they can teach you. Um, a good way is to get a starter deck. They have the most current master rules. Um, and the starter decks you want is the most current starter decks. Unfortunately, don't have a name for them right now. But they usually carry the starter decks that are most current in your major game stores. And you can always ask the person that's behind the counter. And they should be able to give you some hints on what's the newest items there. From the top of my head, the one of the newest sets was called Brotherhood, uh, the Karibo Brotherhood or something like that. And it was kind of funny because I was talking years ago with a, a friend of mine who likes the Karibos. And he was like, yo, when are they going to make this? I'm like, probably never. Be 15 years when they make it, probably. It almost was 15 years when they made it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's good. I like that. I'm not saying I predicted it. I'm just saying that it was kind of funny that it never came out to now. But that set has a lot of good cards and stuff, you know, to get involved in the game. Uh, It's a card that a lot of players uh, love and hate. Everybody loves summoning him. Nobody likes to face him. Red eyes are dark. Red, red eyes dark dragoon or something like that. Whatever the correct name for him. I just call him dragoon. Uh, so when dragoon is on the board, he's a fusion of dark magician and red eyes, which two of the most popular anime monsters. Um, Pretty cool. Dark magician being one of the best tricksters in the game. And what I mean by tricksters is anytime something fuses with dark magician, he's got a trick up his sleeve. It, it really does. I mean. Mm-hmm. I, Dark Magician itself has become such an iconic fusion material monster nowadays that it's kind of, it's not as a joke anymore. Like, he he used to have cards that were Knight's title to bring out Dark Magician Knight. Then nothing special except for kill one card on the board. And that was it. Nowadays, Red Eyes Dark Dragoon, um, you bring him out. And he can't get killed. <laughs> so it's like oh it's, it's like a whole different world. I mean, uh, I I don't want to like read them verbatim, but basically, 
if you made him with two normal monsters, you could pop two cards and stuff. So, and then you get negates. You could do damage. <laughs> you could. <laughs> it's just so much going on with just one card. Like back then, if you got any of that, your name was Dar- uh, Chaos Emperor Dragon. <laughs> so it's like yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah, that guy, yeah, the poor guy that's in violence for so many years, and they had to change what the card said just so you could play him again. Um, again, which are erratas, which I personally, I'm not sure how I feel about erratas. Should only be used if a card text was incorrectly translated, and that's it in my eyes. Mm-hmm. If a card gets made and it's too good for the, like it's too powerful for the game, and it becomes a situation where that card is causing a very toxic environment for the game. Not toxic as in ex-girlfriends trying to destroy your future relationships. I'm talking about a, a, a <laughs> level of toxicity that involves. If you can't play that card, you don't win. That's the level of toxic I'm talking mm-hmm. about. And then like everybody needs that card exactly so then it becomes everybody plays that when you got 99 percent of the players playing the same card there's usually a problem mm-hmm. unless it's it, like a staple right yeah there's cards that are just strong that will be in your deck uh, to use one as an example nowadays the all the pot cards uh and we're not talking about weed we're talking <laughs> about like Pot of Avarice. Well, not that one. That one's kind of bad compared to the other ones. But Pot of Desires, for example. Um, you banish 10, draw 2. You know, that's really good. The, yeah. the, the, the drawback is you can't play another Pot of um, Desires the same turn. So that's fine. You draw 2. That's it. You know, you can keep doing your combos. and So those kind of cards are fine to be at more than 1 or not banned. But Pot of Greed, which is the card with part of desires is made from basically says draw two cards and as you said earlier that was like the best plus two yeah so drawing two cards and there's nothing else given up that's a plus one and uh, that would put you at let's say you start the game you have your five cards in hand you play pot of greed now you're at seven in hand no play pot of greed now you're at six in hand so you got a plus plus one economy already to your opponent then you play a card to add another card let's say that card stays on the board let's just use elemental hero stratos to get yourself another elemental hero now you have a monster on board that replenishes stuff from hand so now you got a plus two economy because you have seven cards total so that's where card economy comes from so when you got cards that do that for free basically it becomes a problem uh unfortunately certain cards get to do those effects never get touched because they got a limited pool of cards that it can pick. For example, Elemental Stratos can pick any hero card in the game. That pool of cards is huge compared to something like Gear 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 Frame, uh, which only gets you one Gear Gear monster. You know, there's a very limited pool there. So when cards get limited or banned, they look at what is the card's potential. And what is the card's expenten- uh, power? You know, its, it's power level, how strong is it? So, Material um, Stratus was a way better searcher because he has a second effect that says, I can also destroy spell and trap cards equal to the number of hero monsters in play. So, now we just not only gain card economy 
I've created on my side, I can destroy a card economy on my opponent's side. So cards like that tend to be like, hold up, this card seems a little too strong. Let's limit it or ban it. Compared to cards like Gear 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 Frame, which only would get you one card and that's it. They don't have another ability. Other than the fact that you keep flipping it back and forth, you keep getting more cards. But again, that's that's abusing the, the mechanic of flipping up and down, flipping up and down, which require more cards. Now, Stratos doesn't require more cards to destroy stuff. He can just do it himself. So it's just how um how to see it, I guess. So you can see different aspects there. What are you most excited about right now going on in the TCG world? Um, like, what, what's something that's really got your attention you're looking forward to? Well, today's date, I'm going to put it here for the video, obviously, that for a future reference. This date probably won't matter much, but uh, we're talking March 16, 2022. Mm -hmm. Anybody that's been born and is 10 years old or older knows what happened the last two years. We've been on lockdown. So what I'm excited is that now that they're lifting these restrictions, um, regardless of how you feel about the restrictions and whatnot, mm -hmm. it's a good thing that we're starting to finally get more events and more in-person situations that we can enjoy. That's what I'm most excited about. It's an in-person game. I mean, you can play online, you know, you can have your little webcam and you can have a good time, but... Nothing beats that one-on-one -on -one in person action. Yes. You know, it's uh and I think that's one of the best parts, you know, being being in a game shop, you know, getting to talk to all the players, trading stuff. That that's what makes it. That's the whole trading card game. That's why it's called a trading card game, because you trade. Yes. Yes. What was your what's your um what's your favorite thing about playing Yu-Gi-Oh! This will be the last question. As for the last question, my favorite thing about playing Yu-Gi-Oh! I will say my favorite thing was traveling to different card stores while I was playing. Getting to meet new people. Starting to see how certain people played. Which it, it, it had me learn more, you know, from the game. Um, uh, I'm one that I can tell you that at any given point, I get back to the game. Uh, I'm ready to play at a high level. With just some practice, just dust off a little bit, and then I'm back in it. And then you see me in the top tables, top four tables, uh, usually has my name on it, you know. There you so, go. Hold, so that's, you have to hold your spot, gotta hold my spot. These chumps nowadays think they're gonna be the top, you know. Don't make these old timers. Let me tell you something about you, Gil, man. I love the new era, I, I love the new era, don't get me wrong, but it's nothing like getting some of the older players. Or just nasty the game. Just pick up a deck, go in there, and show them we still got it. You there know you that's that's the thing that I, I I like to remind these newer players. You know, like, listen, yeah, you you think you knew the era, yeah, you play goat because you play goat now. Play goat with somebody who was really in that format. We didn't have no gentleman rules. We slapped each other to death. You know what I'm saying? We we went in. Uh, so that's something I liked about Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I I don't know. I just feel like that's the thing that. I guess you could call me a, a Yu-Gi-Oh boomer <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah, you've been there from the beginning, man. You've uh, it, you've seen the game grow. I've seen different eras of the game. I've also learned to not play certain eras of the game because they have been very unfriendly. Uh, so I've seen it all with the game, and, and I, I love what the game is going. A lot of people may disagree with me, but um, last I checked, 
yeah, there's a top deck. That's always going to happen. There's going to be a deck that's more populated than the other ones. But there's some decks that are winning that should not be there. In theory. In theory. Because you're like, how did that win? <laughs> in the right. game of Yu-Gi-Oh, like I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, uh, there's over 20,000 dif- 20, different cards. Easily. I could be wrong. It's it's, fr- it's really close to that 20,000 mark, if not more. There's so many ways to build a deck. So many different ways. May not be efficient for you today, but it definitely could be efficient for you tomorrow. So it, it comes down to just being able to pick something, put those 40 cards together, and let's do it. There you go. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone listening. This is the king of games, Cesar Negron. And he's a man. You play Yu-Gi-Oh! He will play you. He will throw down with you. He's one of the originals. Now you got kids who are like 10, 11 years old who have never seen the beginning. This man's been through every era to maintain his title. Uh, Caesar, thank you for coming on, man. You're, you know, you're always a good friend. I will definitely have you back on and we will be talking about some other stuff, other TCGs and other you know, nerdy stuff that we're into, you know, anime, bro. We, we we got lists of stuff we can talk about and have a good time with. Oh, of course. Now that being a nerd is, is more popular than being a football player somehow. I loved how right. we took it over. <laughs> we have taken over. <laughs> it's, it's our era now. <laughs> uh, about damn time. <laughs> well. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for the next episode. And as I like to say, keep on building. Thank you, everybody.